welcome back to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. <laughs> yes, she is. And today, Emily and I are here to have a fun conversation with you all about the parallels and the contrasting points between National Treasure and National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. Now that we're all on the same page with our customary introductory episodes to Book of Secrets, we feel like we're prepared to have this in-depth discussion today. Yeah, Em? Yes, I'm, I'm ready for it. <laughs> And we, we hope you all are too. So yeah, we're going to be comparing and contrasting the plot and the structure of both of these films. And just to give everyone a heads up right from the get-go, we recognize that this episode could get really confusing really quickly when we have two movies that are basically called National Treasure. So for bookkeeping purposes today, Emily and I are going to commit to calling the first movie in this franchise National Treasure and the second movie in this franchise simply Book of Secrets. Okay? Sound good, Em? Yes, I will try my best. <laughs> I will too. I'm sure it's going to be really challenging, especially because in my notes, I definitely wrote like mm -hmm. NT2 everywhere. Yep. <laughs> but I think this is for the best. Um, and speaking of for the best, everyone would be doing themselves a favor if they got on social media and left us their thoughts and comments after listening to this episode. So Emily, you want to do the honors and tell them where they can find us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. You can find us for your listening ears on Spotify, iTunes, or you want to be a little more hipster and go with SoundCloud. We got you covered there too. Guys, go ahead, like, rate, review, subscribe, whatever the options are on the various platforms that I just mentioned. Go ahead and do it. We try to always roll out some fun content for you guys on a regular basis. So just get in touch with us. So yes, they should definitely get in touch with us. I mean, Emily, whenever I'm procrastinating, I think we've revealed here before, I'm literally scrolling through our Twitter and our Instagram. So I'm always looking for some people to chat with about our favorite films, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's get started here today. And Emily... To begin us on this journey of comparing National Treasure and Book of Secrets, ha, score one for me, I did it right the first time, <laughs> I, I found this quote um, that was written by a blogger named Sean Nazuti, and he declared so aptly in this post from July 2020 on the Diz Insider website. He said, quote, these twins stand resolute, and he is talking about National Treasure and Book of Secrets, not just the resolute desks. And... <laughs> and I really liked this comment from, from him. So shout out to you, Sean. I like it because there really are so many more similarities and parallels to National Treasure and Book of Secrets than simply the fact that they are from the same world and, you know, have predominantly the same characters. And, you know, they even keep those characters on a natural progression from one film to the other you know, with Ben and Abigail's relationship and Riley's mm -hmm. career progression and Patrick becoming more and more involved in the treasure hunting. 
these um these are the obvious parallels but i think it's fair to say that the parallels run a lot deeper and emily i know you want to get us started here with some overarching big picture threads related to the actual story construction of these movies so what what uh what can you tell us about those yes so everyone i know this is going to come as a really big surprise uh given that i am the one who has trouble with chronology in these <laughs> movies, but I have taken it upon myself to compare the construction of the story between National Treasure and Book of Secrets. And when we get into it, it's really interesting. So first off, we know National Treasure and Book of Secrets both start with their little clips of history, right? And Aubrey's going to talk a little bit more about that in a bit. However, when we get to the next scene, basically, National Treasure 1 jumps right into the Arctic Tundra, right, where they're looking uh, for the Charlotte. And the adventure is basically already happening, meaning that they've already received the first clue, and now they're searching for the Meerschaum pipe. Now, my thing is that they could probably afford to do this in this franchise because of the fact that they really want, at this point, to draw people into the world, right? So instead of starting off with us figuring out what the first clue is. We're going to start right away with action adventure. You know, there's an explosion of the ship. We get our bad guy introduced. We have a lot going on there. In Book of Secrets, we start with Ben giving a lecture and the whole, you know, booth diary page thing happens and it takes us a while to get our first clue, which ends up being the cipher. But I think what they did by starting with Ben giving a lecture here, kind of as Aubrey mentioned, they were not only trying to go with the natural progression of the characters, but they already knew that they had us at this point, right? We had seen (laughs) National Treasure 1. They didn't need to hook us in with anything. They could start with something as mundane as Ben giving a lecture. I would go so far as to say they want to build up the suspense in the second movie because we're already coming back for more. Right. So so they want us to be kind of on the edge of our seats, wondering when the big moment is going to come. Exactly. And I think you'll see from the rest of this that there were some delays in Book of Secrets, definitely in comparison to National Treasure. So, you know, at the point in National Treasure where we're stealing the Declaration of Independence and doing our big heist scene in Book of Secrets, we're literally going and looking at the Resolute Desk in Britain. So we're still on our clue-finding phase of this mission in the second one. Like I said, I think a lot of that has to do with them wanting to really capture the audience's attention with these big things starting in the first movie, while in Book of Secrets they could take their time a little more. Something that I wanted to mention is when they steal the Declaration of Independence, that's of course we know when they bring Abigail kind of into the fold officially as part of the team. However, we don't get to bring in our other sidekick character in Book of Secrets until much later in the movie when Emily is coming to help them. And I want to say that this is the second time, right, because of Abigail, that someone is coming in to help them, though it's very different than in the first movie, because as you might remember, Emily was needed in order to translate the what they found on the planks that they got from the Resolute Desk in England. However, it could be argued that in the first movie, they probably could have done 
most of their clue hunting and treasure finding without Abigail. I'm aware, Aubrey, that they needed her fingerprints. They did. But intellectually, I don't know what she added. And that's not dissing the character of Abigail at all. But it seems like they needed her less True. than they needed Emily. I give you that. Then I find what I find really interesting is by the time in National Treasure, we're going to the church and Abigail, Riley are kidnapped and the dad is kind of kidnapped as well. In Book of Secrets, Ben is just getting to his iconic line of, I'm going to kidnap the president of the United States. So our big heist here is happening way later, right? After they've taken some time to lay the groundwork and have us find a few clues before we even get to that main heist. It almost feels like Book of Secrets has a more traditional movie or story arc and framing. Definitely. I would definitely say that. And I think that's very true because here they're going through and they're telling us, right, they're telling us a story um, from one piece of, from one clue to another. And in National Treasure 1, I think what they had to do, and they did it really well, but they had to really get us, right? They had to really draw everyone in. So all of the big moment things had to happen a lot earlier on which kind of offset some of the clue finding in the first movie so it seems almost like the characters have to do slightly less work in the first movie than they do in the second movie it's an interesting thought and it also reminds me of a conversation we've had in the past where national treasure what is the real treasure is it the Templar treasure or is it the Declaration of Independence? The fact that we're even having that conversation and you could make that argument is vastly different than in Book of Secrets where the treasure was sea below the whole time, right? Like there's no arguing yeah. that. <laughs> and they kind of figured that out like early on. It was just like how we got there. Yes. Yeah. That was that was the part that took a, a little longer. Um, so I think from, you know, I think ultimately what they did is they offset us by one clue, right, in the beginning of the movie by not having us figure out that first clue with them in National Treasure. They offset everything by about a clue. And if you could see the Google Doc that I have here with all of it laid out, it is very clear that it's literally everything is just offset by a clue, in Book of Secrets, they're doing everything a step later. I mean, by the time we're finding the treasure in National Treasure 1, we're just getting into the secret tunnels under Mount Rushmore. Mm -hmm. So it really is offset by everything. Something I did like is that both movies kind of had that wrap-up scene where after everything had been found, they kind of explained what was happening with the treasure, and you got to kind of check in with the characters a little bit to see how everything was going. So I think that part of the story construction stayed the same between the two films. But I just thought it was really interesting looking at the way that they probably had to write the stories for these two films. Yeah, and it's even it's even more interesting. I just did a double check, so I wasn't crazy. Um, but you would almost imagine that because of the structure and because it takes so much longer to get to the treasure sequence in Book of Secrets, you almost assume that that movie is longer than the first one, don't you? Is it not? 
They're the exact same length. Oh my gosh, I totally thought that it was right? longer. Yeah. Their their run times are listed online at least as both being two hours and eleven minutes. So um so yeah, it's really interesting how the film structure can totally warp like your sense and your your experience of time watching yeah. these. Um, well, now that, Emily, you just laid the groundwork for the full structure of the films, I'm really excited to go into detail on some of the points that you were thinking about when you when you were talking about chronology of clues, etc. Because now we're going to talk more plot points. And I think one of the big overarching pictures here that is really the same for both films, a, a common theme, is that Ben is really just vindicating his family or clearing his family name in both of these movies. It's a little bit more subtle in National Treasure. Um, we are, we're basically told early on that the Gates family name is a mockery in the historical community. They're conspiracy theorists, etc. We just have to kind of trust them. <laughs> that, that that's true but it's it's much more overt in book of secrets right you know we watch mitch slander the gates family name at that lecture and and you know then ben of course can only save his family name by proving his family's version of these historical events um even we can even go one step further in book of secrets and and notice that at the end of Book of Secrets, the president of the United States is telling Ben that he's brought great honor upon his family. That's really the motivation behind all of this. And what I have to say about that is this is a Disney film. This seems very in line with a Disney-produced franchise. Do you agree? I totally agree, especially the line about bringing honor upon his family reminds, reminds me of a Mulan. Oh, that's a good point. We're, uh, you know, having a crossover event moment here between Disney films. <laughs> um, I just had that song stuck in my head, so continue. Did you, watch, did you watch the live action Mulan? No, because they didn't have songs in it. Fair enough. So another overarching point here that I think blends well with what Emily said at the at the top of this episode. The plot in these films while we of course have this massive treasure hunt going on in both, we see a more complex plot take form in Book of Secrets. Mm -hmm. And the best way I can explain that, Emily, and I'm actually really, I'm genuinely curious to hear your thoughts on this after I say it because you have trouble with chronology. And so please hear me out and then I'm gonna ask you to reflect because I'm really curious, genuinely, I'm not just making fun of you here. In National Treasure, the chronology of the clues is super linear. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Book of Secrets, it's super nonlinear. <laughs> and and the way what I mean by that is you can almost think of it, you could almost think of it this way. You could pretty much never find the clues in the wrong order in National Treasure. Mm-hmm. However, you could theoretically find the clues in the wrong order in Book of Secrets. So, for example, you could use the president's book to identify needing to go to Mount Rushmore well before you find the planks to indicate what you actually have to do at Mount Rushmore. You know, you could think of going to the Oval Office Resolute Desk before going to the Buckingham Palace Desk. And you could even make an argument in some sense that maybe you don't even need both pieces of the plank if you're really good at, at treasure hunting. Um, 
So you can only that's that's the way I'm thinking about Book of Secrets here. You could find the clues out of order and still solve the puzzle, which makes the plot really complex and admittedly harder to follow. I think the only clues you can do that with in National Treasure are the Silence Do Good Letters and the Declaration of Independence because you could know from the Meerschaum pipe that you need the Declaration and you need the Silence Do Good Letters. So you can get them in whatever order you want. Yeah. That's the only nonlinear nature here. So Emily, assess my argument. National Treasure is linear. Book of Secrets is all over the place. What do you think? To quote the doctor from Doctor Who, time is essentially like a big ball of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. And I think that's what's happening in the second movie. I mean, what is time really in the second movie? We can do any of this in any way and we can still get all of these different clues and to all of these different places and I think you just opened a door for me Aubrey as to why I mean I know I had trouble in National Treasure with the chronology of things but Book of Secrets was very difficult for me and you got uh you all might have heard that in our commentary episode or even in some of the episodes that we released right after that but at least in the conversations that Aubrey and I had off mic, it it was really difficult for me to wrap my head around all of the things. And it was clear that I missed some very large plot points (laughs) in the second movie. And I think that it is because the clues are very, they're very different and they all lead to different places, which is, yeah, I mean, good job. Thank you. I I thought a lot about this, and I think one of the reasons the second film, Book of Secrets, is so complex is in order to fully understand each clue, you have to remember to two, three clues prior, right? Yeah. We, we saw that happen. I would even argue it's one of the reasons why our 11th episode, our commentary on Book of Secrets, is so long, because we wanted to make all of it make sense if you wanted to fully understand it. Um, but even though, I'll, I'll, I'm going to take this one step further, M. even though Book of Secrets has a more complex plot, I would argue the clues are harder to solve in National Treasure. How so? So, I mean, even from the beginning, even from the very beginning, the historical portion of the film A National Treasure, it took centuries to figure out what the heck Charlotte even meant. Okay? True. There are also more riddles in National Treasure that need to be solved. I would go so far as to say that in Book of Secrets, the challenge is far less about solving a riddle. I mean, think about it. Half the time, the clue in Book of Secrets just needed to be translated from one language to another, mm. or um, history just needed to be referenced. Like, what does La Boule Lady mean? Who was Borglum, right? I mean, in a sense, in Book of Secrets, the riddle was physically finding the clues, whereas in National Treasure, the riddle was solving the riddle. I mean... I don't know if I'm making sense here, but I'll give you an example. In Book of Secrets, it was much harder for them to physically get into the Oval Office to find the clue in the Oval Office than it was to solve the clue that they found in the Oval Office. No, that's very true, Aubrey. And, you know, it just 
gave me uh, a thought, which is surprising because my brain is not usually full of them, um, <laughs> is that the writers maybe took something from the first movie in that when Nick Cage, you know, <laughs> Nick Cage said <laughs> he was going to steal the Declaration of Independence and that entire heist to get to the Declaration of Independence, that's something that's still being talked about to this day, you know, even in meme culture. Um, and I think what the writers might have done is realized that the audience was really into that particular part of the movie and maybe made it so that in National Treasure 2, there were a lot more, I guess what I would refer to as mini heists. You know, they had the big one, but also they had some of these mini heists in sense of like they had to get into the Oval Office and they had to get into Buckingham Palace and all of that kind of stuff to really like lead us to what the clue was. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think maybe that is something that went on in the writer's room. That's a really interesting thought and something we could hopefully ask uh, Charles Seegers about at a later date. But I think you're onto something there. It's true that those those moments in the films are super memorable. Um, something else that I would say is pretty memorable about both of these films is that the treasure hunt itself brings people together. This 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 <laughs> this act of people striving toward a common goal with with their collective best interests at heart. It really it, it really does a lot for, for community building here. In fact, you can actually track the progress towards achieving the treasure by tracking the progress of our high-tension relationships that are being resolved throughout the film. Okay, so think about it. In National Treasure, you have Ben and Abigail and Ben and Patrick as the two high-tension relationships. And as the movie progresses and those relationships get more and more calm dare i say happy we get closer and closer to actually finding the templar treasure and in book of secrets the same thing happens once again we have ben and abigail with the high tension situation but we also have patrick and emily you even get a parallel scene between the two films in which we have a very high stress situation in the heat of the treasure hunt and we get something that emily enjoys a lot we get a very abrupt kiss scene Right, We have Ben and Abigail before entering Parkington Lane in National Treasure. And we get Patrick and Emily after swinging on the vine, very George of the Jungle-esque, to cross the gorge in the Cibola Tunnels in Book of Secrets. That was so a very sweet moment. I knew you would enjoy it. And I that's why I thought you would like this point as well. But speaking of the relationships in these films... I think we can agree that the crux relationship in both stories is the relationship between Ben, Abigail, and Riley. Do you agree? The thruple, one might say. One might indeed say. We, we actually have a really nice subtle callback to the National Treasure heist sequence when we're watching Book of Secrets. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, Emily, but... You might recall that in National Treasure, when Ben is at the Archives Gala during the heist, he has Riley in his ear via the earpiece. And 
during this situation, Ben has a tense and unexpected interaction with Abigail. We get burned and, you know, stealing her fingerprints. The film structure at this time has us listening to Riley in Ben's ear and then listening to what Ben says out loud. And Riley's speaking in this scene kind of represents what Ben or even the viewer is thinking, right? Do you know what scene I'm talking about here? Yes, believably (laughs) or not, I I do. Okay, good. So it turns out this actually happens almost identically again in Book of Secrets when Ben is at Buckingham Palace. So you might recall Ben once again has Riley in his ear. We have the little the little earpiece and he unexpectedly runs into Abigail and they're in another high tension situation, high tension interaction. And throughout the whole scene, we hear Riley commenting in the earpiece and we hear Ben and the viewers thoughts. Uh, You mean the moment when he tells them that they're really great together? Yes. That it would be that scene. Of course, the quotes will orient our dear friend Emily here. Um, but it's a really nice parallel. And there's a second parallel, a second callback here, too. Immediately following the Declaration of Independence heist and national treasure, you might recall that Ben is in a park trying to ditch Abigail and get her off of this treasure hunting team. Um, we also have Ben trying to ditch Abigail at Buckingham Palace once they get into the mini jail. And Mm. in each case, Ben is highly unsuccessful, and Abigail then becomes an integral part of the hunt. Although we now know that Emily would argue in National Treasure, Abigail wasn't necessary at all. I didn't say that because I don't (laughs) like Abigail. I think she was necessary because the love story needed to happen. So she was completely necessary. I'm just messing with you here. Um, But... (laughs) But while we're on the subject of these characters, our thruple and their sidekicks, if you will, there are some more character consistency points that I really enjoy between these two films. Emily, I would be curious to hear your thoughts. Um, First and foremost, we have, honestly, a really complex character in Ben Gates. And I know people are going to give me a lot of flack for saying that because it's Nick Cage, and Nick Cage is just one person. He's crazy. And here I argue, no, Ben is a super complex character in both of these films. He's really poignant, right? We have um, poetic, historic spiels to justify stealing the declaration and, and kidnapping the president. Yeah, you know, Aubrey, you're right. In National Treasure, Ben has a quote that he actually takes from the Declaration of Independence. I'm not going to take the time to read it to you because I, I know you all love me and my quotes, but we need to continue moving forward in this episode so it's not a two-hour-long episode. But he has this really nice quote from the Declaration of Independence, as Aubrey said, to justify stealing the Declaration of Independence. And as Aubrey mentioned, in order to justify kidnapping the president, he actually says, and I will read this one because it is quite literally one of the best quotes that I think exists, Now, he says, before the Civil War, the states were all separate. People used to say the United States are. And it wasn't until the war ended that people started saying the United States is. Under Lincoln, we became one nation. And I think that's just a beautiful quote. And then lastly, what I noticed immediately when I was watching Book of Secrets was a parallel between what happened and an exchange that Ben had 
with uh, a, a quote that he said in the first movie. So if you'll remember, Aubrey, there's a time when Ben has kidnapped the president. I don't know yeah. if you remember that part of the story. He has indeed. But trying to convince the president as to why he should reveal this information about this presidential secret book. And, you know, when the president asks, asks why, he said, Ben says, because it will probably lead us to the discovery of the greatest na Native American treasure of all time, a huge piece of culture lost. You can give that history back to its descendants. And because you're the president of the United States, sir, whether by innate character or the oath you took to defend the Constitution or the weight of history that falls upon you, I believe you to be an honorable man. And the president aptly responds with, Gates, people don't believe that stuff anymore. And this is a direct reference to National Treasure, where after Ben said his quote from the Declaration of Independence, he said, people don't talk that way anymore. And I think it's just so fitting for the Ben Gates character. I love that that trait follows through and that he still has these moments, or as we come to refer to them, probably some Charles Seegers-like moments um, where he is making these grandiose statements. Yeah, so I think, Emily, you have made the argument well that Ben definitely has this poignant historical respect side to him. But he's more complex than that, okay? He has the outbursts that we really attribute to, I don't know, Nicolas Cage, right? We have burned and haggis in in national treasure and book of secrets respectively we have the significance of his educational background you know the scuba diving point he was jumping off the intrepid in national treasure and he's arriving at mount vernon in scuba gear in book of secrets and finally we know that he is always not a good negotiator. He's not good at bargaining. We have Agent Sadusky telling him in National Treasure and the President of the United States saying it when he has been kidnapped in Book of Secrets. So we see this, this complex Ben Gates character that's, I would say, very self-consistent through the two films. Mm -hmm. And I would also say that he's well-developed um, you know, with his relationships. But we also um, have to talk about Riley on the subject of characters here. We have to talk about Emily's favorite. Uh. Something that I know Emily appreciates is that Riley has a very clear moment to shine in both of these films, um, which is important because he is ultimately our sidekick and comedic relief character. So for him to have that moment of validation in both of these films seems like a really intentional decision on the part of the story writers. So in National Treasure, we have his revelation about daylight savings time in the Urban Outfitters. And then in Book of Secrets, we really have him being able to illuminate the significance of the eagle clutching the scroll symbol, ultimately leading to the existence of the president's secret book. And there is a really nice Riley quote that, you know, I'm sorry, guys, I'm going to mention it. It's the last quote I'll talk about. But where he has a moment in this eagle clutching scroll situation where he really has a chance to stick up for himself. And he said to Ben and Abigail, if, if it was you trying to convince me, you'd have less evidence and I'd already have been convinced by now. Yes. Yes, I like that line as well. But ultimately, Emily, we cannot argue with the fact that he is our comedic character. 
And with that, we have beautiful character self-consistency here. We know from National Treasure that Riley has an affinity for statues, especially Mm -hmm. treasure statues with our giant bluish green man with a strange looking goatee comment in the Templar treasure room. Well, he did it again in Book of Secrets with the little golden man in the tunnel system en route to Cibola. Turns out that him um, identifying that little golden man causes the entire group to be split up and fall down the trap door. But that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> but okay, so those are those are two characters for us to talk about here. But we have some important things to say about the female characters in these films as well. Yes, we do. So I would like to point out that in Book of Secrets, Abigail is still dealing with the patriarchy, even though she had to deal with it in National Treasure. It's like something, some force that never goes away. I wonder what that's like. (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. That's super serious. (laughs) Now, the thing that I find interesting is that Emily ultimately deals with much less of the patriarchy in Book of Secrets, which is very interesting because you'd think that someone like Ben, the main doler out of patriarchal nonsense, (laughs) would have said something about his mom, right? That was somehow patriarchal, like, I want to protect you or something like that. But apparently he only saves that for the love of his life, Abigail. And honestly, I don't think that Patrick really said much bad to her either. Patrick was too busy just being kind of annoyed with her. Mm. And speaking of annoyance, in the movie, something that I did not like was that both of the women were treated like an annoyance at first. So in National Treasure, when Abigail like steps in on Ben's plan to steal the Declaration of Independence, he's really annoyed with her. And he's kind of rude to her, as we talked about in our first episode way, way back. And in the same way, Emily is also treated like an annoyance because it's something that Patrick has to deal with and confront his uh, ex-wife and that Ben, you know, it's less of an annoyance to Ben, it seems, because it seems like they make it seem like Emily kind of already knew Ben and Abigail and that they'd have spent some time together. But on Patrick's level, he definitely sees her as, very much of an annoyance. And I think that that it's interesting. And I think that it makes for a good comedic, good comedic moments in both of the films. But I just wish that the writers had taken a different tactic to get at those comedic moments rather than sticking it on women being treated like an annoyance. I'll raise you one more. I don't think they were just annoyances, although I do agree with you. I think they were looked at as being scary, intimidating, scary. Oh, yes. Okay, right? So in National Treasure, there's actually a moment when Riley's in Ben's ear during the heist when he's crossing the road with the declaration to go to the van. And we hear Riley say, the mean, scary declaration ladies behind you or mm-hmm. something like that. And then, gosh, we know that Patrick is mortally afraid of Emily. Yeah. Right? And once again, that's something that... They like having a strong female character, having her be kind of intimidating, it can be a good thing. But when it's called out the way that it's called out in these movies, like with Riley directly saying it and with Ben's dad 
legitimately like being afraid to go talk to his ex-wife that's it's not a positive lens of mm-hmm. showing that for sure i agree good point um okay do you think we did enough on the characters for now i do i think we have some good parallels related simply to the fictional world that we're in yeah i would agree um let's see we can start with maybe symbolism um, is is a nice one to start with. You know, the importance of the Freemason symbol in National Treasure, the importance of the eagle clutching scroll symbol in National Treasure 2. We also have, as a parallel, something I really enjoy about these films, and by enjoy, I mean laugh at, which is the very loose definition they have of the word map. I mean, in National Treasure, of course, the map is a picture on the back of the Declaration of Independence. And in uh, in Book of Secrets, our map is is basically the Olmec planks. But um, but I will point out, Emily, this is actually really ironic and it makes me giggle. In Book of Secrets, we do see a real map the way we think of maps. Mm hmm. It's the Mount Vernon map, and it's so funny to me because that's the only real map in, like, any of these movies, and it's super insignificant to the plot. Yeah, nobody really cares about it that much. <laughs> <laughs> although, although, here's here's something, and I want you to think about this because um, I'm not going to lie. I did some reading. Some other people have theorized a little bit about this online, but there is a subtlety to that map and the whole Mount Vernon storyline that could actually be a very clever connection between National Treasure and Book of Secrets. And that has to do with one word, Charlotte. Okay. I love that word. A subtle callback to the clue that started it all, the secret lies with Charlotte, the ship in, in National Treasure, and also, of course, the way we open up every one of our podcast episodes. Um, but we also learn that the map of George Washington's Mount Vernon that Ben produces in Book of Secrets was passed along by a slave at the estate named Charlotte. And so at face value here, at minimum, this is just a callback that is always nice to be like, oh, I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. But with a little more thought, this relationship with the word Charlotte could actually represent a really strong link between National Treasure and Book of Secrets. And I really buy into this because of some things about the Mount Vernon scene in Book of Secrets that have always bugged me. So for instance, did you ever think that Ben just happening to have this map was an extremely lucky coincidence? Or did you think it was odd that Ben knew exactly which tunnel to point the president toward? You know, the end of this tunnel was never found. But if the end of that tunnel was never found, how was Patrick's car waiting for Ben at the end of it? Mm. Right? Yeah. Now, it turns out there could be a reason for these strange coincidences that would make these occurrences not just lucky coincidences bordering on plot holes (laughs) but but instead would actually make for an incredibly well thought out scheme that really turns the movie's two distinct stories into one do you have any idea where i'm going with this i'm so excited to to tell you i don't okay so 
party in national treasure we learn that the gates family for years had tracked down all sorts of leads regarding what the secret lies with charlotte could have meant so who is charlotte so it's feasible that the slave named charlotte at mount vernon was one of those leads or you know at least one of her ancestors and so if the secret lied with Charlotte and Charlotte the slave had a map of tunnel systems under Mount Vernon, maybe Ben early on in his treasure hunting before the time sequence of national treasure, maybe Ben thought this was a map to the Templar treasure leading him to explore the tunnel system himself again before national treasure ever happened and this would explain not only why he has the map but it would also explain why he knows how to open the tunnel door using that george washington's mark on the wall mm. and how he knew where patrick should park the car to pick him up after the president's kidnapping Ooh, i like that explanation aubrey i think we should ask uh, charles seegers about that I do too. <laughs> uh, I, uh, for our own bookkeeping references here, um, we're keeping a list of questions that we're going to ask Charles in the future. So, hey, if you have any questions about either film, feel free to send them our way. If you want us to ask Charles, and we'll uh, we'll add it to that list. But yeah, I love I love that sequence. It makes a lot of sense to me. It yeah. seems to plug what otherwise seems like a plot hole, and uh, I'm here for it. It's, that's a great find, Aubrey, I have to say. Thank you. I will take my bow. Um, okay, what other parallels do we have here? How about, um, how about U.S. currency? That's a common thread in both, of these, in both of these movies. We have, for example, the $1 bill in the opening sequence of National Treasure in Ben's grandfather's attic, as well as, of course, the clue on the $100 bill um, in the same movie. And then once again, we see a nice nod to currency when Patrick uses a crumpled up bill in Book of Secrets to figure out the direction that the water current is running in Cibola because water is the villain is going to drown them if they don't figure out how to get out. Mm. So symbolically, I would argue that U.S. currency really launched the entire series in the grandfather's attic in National Treasure. And then... After that point, U.S. currency almost becomes this unspoken, inanimate ally in their searches. Because in the first movie, you know, currency is actually a clue. And it mm -hmm. leads them to another clue. And in Book of Secrets, U.S. currency literally saves their lives because it helps them escape the flooding treasure room. Um, oh, and by the way... It's a dang good thing that no one has to go to prison, Ben, in Book of Secrets, because as we've mentioned so astutely in our past episodes, their scapegoat slash villain literally drowned because, as we know, they killed a man. Not a good look, guys. <laughs> Not a good look, Disney. Jeez. Yeah, so Aubrey, I, I said I was done with my quotes, but... I guess I'm not. Um, there are two really key quotes in these films that have to do with the major heists that take place. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about them. Yeah, I mean, this really calls back to the beginning of this episode really well, I think. Um, we obviously know what the major heist in each film is. 
And we knew that even before we watched the movies, even when we were just seeing commercials and trailers on TV, because what is the one thing that you remember from any advertisement or any reference to either of these films literally ever? You remember, I'm going to steal a Declaration of Independence, and you remember, I'm going to kidnap the President of the United States. And um, as Emily pointed out earlier, the ultimate structure of how we get to those heists is super different. I actually liken what you were describing at the very top of this episode, Emily, to to like roller coaster styles. Okay. So hear me out. Mm-hmm. Um, in in National Treasure, the heist, as you mentioned, is the first major thing they have to do. And all subsequent clues happen super fast. So we have a lead up to the heist and then everything is downhill from there. It's a it's a traditional it's a traditional roller coaster. It's Nitro at Six Flags Great Adventure, am I right? Yes. And if you want, maybe Aubrey and I can post a bit of this video where we're both doing the same hand motion of a roller coaster because <laughs> that's great. I was actually thinking maybe we should post one of our classic pictures from our trip to Great Adventure a few years ago. That, that too, but this is also funny. <laughs> we're just like, our hands are just waving all over the place here. Um, but jokes aside, in in Book of Secrets, we have the exact opposite thing, basically. You know, the president kidnapping happens well into the film and takes significantly less prep. So you don't really feel like the kidnapping is quite so much as of this massive hill, this massive climax as the Declaration of Independence. So on our roller coaster scale, we're talking just like lots of lots of bunny hills, the kiddie coaster, right? The coaster that I would go on. Stop it. You went on all the rides with us, didn't you? Most of them. Most of them. Okay. Um, we, well, I know we forced you on Superman because you love Superman. Yeah. I didn't go on the Green Lantern one, though. Oh, no one likes the Green Lantern. Huge fan of Great Adventure here, but do yourself a favor. Do not go on the standing coaster, the Green Lantern. If you ever go to Six Flags Great Adventure, you can thank me later. This podcast is not sponsored by Six Flags Great Adventure. And speaking of what this podcast is also not sponsored by is death. So, Aubrey, (laughs) can you tell me a little something here? Something that always, you know, stresses me out so much. That doesn't take much. But is that how they find themselves in the treasure, leading up to the treasure rooms, always in these deadly situations? And, I mean, it's great that it's there in both of these films, but, like, I'm hoping maybe you can explain to me, you know, a little more about maybe why this was done in both films? I don't know. Well, I think the movie magic answer is suspense. But it's don't true. You, <laughs> you, you point something out here, which is the fact that the treasure sequence of both of these films, um, they're quite literally deadly all of the time. Not only because we see skeletons all over the place. I know Emily mentioned before that you can track your progress towards the treasure by how many dead bodies you come across on the way. But I'm actually talking deadly in the present tense situation too, right? In National Treasure, we see Shaw, who is of course one of Ian Howe's cronies fall and disappear into the black abyss below when we are en route to the treasure room under the church. And we actually see a similar 
scene in Book of Secrets when a flashlight falls and disappears into the abyss um, when we are in the tunnel system in Cibola. And you might ask me, Emily, how are you comparing Shaw to a flashlight? I mean, one's a person, a human man, and the other is a flashlight. But I argue (laughs) maybe the thing falling into the abyss in Book of Secrets is only an inanimate object because they knew they were going to kill off Mitch at the end and they only wanted one death per film because otherwise this isn't Disney anymore. It's way more edgy than that. That's true. It tracks with Disney. There's usually a one death whether you see it on screen or not per film. So. Another reason why we couldn't see Mitch stab Patrick as we revealed in a previous episode. Yeah, although he wouldn't have died. But let's be real. Would the film have lost? Would would the prospective National Treasure three have lost a lot if he had? Meh. Yeah. Meh. He's got. He's back with Emily now, yo. You gotta give that love story some time. Oh my gosh, I'm sure if we see them again in National Treasure three, they too will be on the verge of separation, just as we saw Ben and Abigail in movie two. And that will be a topic for a future Parallels episode between National Treasure, Book of Secrets, and yet to be named National Treasure 3. But um, as we start wrapping up here, now that we're talking about the treasure rooms, you know, both of the treasure sequences also have a major suspense scene. So this is another big parallel here. So in National Treasure, the suspense scene is the whole dumbwaiter system breaking apart. And in Book of Secrets, it's the whole tilt platform that stresses Emily out every time we see it. And you'll notice that after each of these sequences, whether it's the dumbwaiter system or the tilt platform, we find the treasure almost immediately after. That's true. But we don't find the treasure until... An immediate false sense of failure. Have you noticed this? In each movie, the treasure room is sort of protected by a a non-treasure room, if you will, to convince treasure hunters that they have failed and they should turn around and go home. In National Treasure, it's the antechamber where they have to insert the Charlotte puzzle piece. And in Book of Secrets, it's the first room that starts filling with water, that I always forget about where they have to go down instead of forward. But recall, all they have to do is go down. They don't have to put in a last puzzle piece or anything. Once Mm -hmm. again, circling us back to this idea that the clues are harder to solve in national treasure. Um, In any case, we're always ending these treasures on a pretty positive note. There's always someone in absolute awe of the history they've found, you know, Abigail and the scrolls from the library at Alexandria and National Treasure. And of course, our uh, professor, Helen Mirren, and the Olmec writing in, in Cibola in Book of Secrets. And I think the last thing I have to say, Emily, about these stress-inducing treasure scenes is this. We have to end these films on a major difference. And this is, I think, the fact that when they find the treasure at the end of National Treasure, it's basically the end of the story in the film. Whereas in Book of Secrets, they find the treasure and then they must literally escape and extend the film length by another 10 minutes or whatever, because again, it's important that we kill off the villain so that all of our loose ends are tied up, you know, cause Ian Howe's in jail. Mitch is now dead. 
paving the way for a brand new villain in National Treasure 3. So as always, I leave this conversation with, I think, a really reasonable thesis. And that thesis is, give us National Treasure 3. Yes, give us National Treasure 3. And also, while we're on the topic of villains, you guys may be thinking, Aubrey and Emily, why in the world would you leave out the villains? Sean Bean is awesome. And we all hate Mitch Wilkinson. And why deprive us of the opportunity to talk about that simultaneous love and hatred in this episode? Well, it turns out Ian Howe and Mitch Wilkinson, guys, we're coming for you. We're going to do a whole episode comparing the two of them. For now, it's interesting to note that they both have to strike up a tenuous alliance with Ben at the end of the film in order to find the actual treasure itself. But guys, trust me, you're going to want to tune in later because we will go into the comparisons between these villains. I'm really looking forward to that. I am too, mainly because I love Sean Bean. (laughs) You are nothing if not consistent, Emily. Um, And I think we've accomplished what we set out to do here today, which is have an in-depth conversation about connections and parallels between these two films that, you know, maybe you weren't aware of before, but hopefully we got you thinking, did we miss anything? Are there any parallels that you like to note that you want to share with us? Well, we'd be happy to share them with our followers too. So if you have those comments um, or observations that you want to share, definitely send them our way on social media. And Emily is going to tell you where to find us. You can find us at NT Hunt Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us to put into your beautiful listening ears on Spotify, iTunes, or, you know, be a little more hipster and go with SoundCloud. Like I said before, we got you covered there too, guys. Go ahead, like, rate, subscribe, review, whatever you can do uh, in order to follow us, in order to get involved in this community. And we promise you it will be worth your time. It definitely will, especially when they come back for our next episode, Emily, which will be one of our signature deep dive episodes. This time, we are going all in on National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets plot point, the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln. So you're going to want to come back for that because we're going to give you all the historical fact, but also go into some of Emily's favorite talking points, which are what are the conspiracy theories surrounding this event in American history? And then we're going to debunk them because that's what we do best here on our show. So definitely come back for that. And until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt.